to us. Um, it's good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. Uh, we're in a series called Transformed, and we're talking about six different areas of our life where we believe that God wants to make changes. I'm going to tell you right up front that how I'm going to ask you to respond to this message today at the end is going to be different uh, than how I've probably asked you to respond in the past. So just, just be open to that, and just this is a really, this isn't a tough message, like it's going to be really challenging, and I'm really going to try to make you feel bad about yourself and repent. I mean, there'll be a little bit of that, but not like the most of it's going to be encouragement and just pushing you towards Christ. But just keep your heart open to how God wants you to respond at the end of this message. I just want to say that up front. Today we're going to be talking about how to be transformed in our emotions. How to be transformed in our emotions. I want to share a story with you that happened to me this week on Thursday morning. On Thursday this week, I, was, uh, I got in my car and on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursdays, I drive my kids to school. They go to Coventry Christian School. We live in Pottstown. And so it's about a 10-minute drive from my house to the school. And so we got in the car, Joseph, Lucy, and I, and just a normal morning, and we get in the car, and I close the door, and I turn the key, and all of a sudden, my car alarm starts going off. And I'm like, I'm clearly, clearly the owner of the car and I have the keys, I don't understand what's happening. Joseph and Lucy think this is absolutely hysterical as it's early in the morning and our horn is blaring and our lights are blinking and I really only had one choice and that was to keep going. Uh, an interesting part of the story is that my keyless entry has not worked since I've gotten the car. So every time I'm trying to hit panic, because I'm clearly panicked, because I'm waking everybody up at this point, it doesn't work. I can't get the car to stop, and I'm like, I don't know. And so I'm just sitting there. I'm like, what do I do? I like, I'm like, I could unhook the battery. I know nothing about anything mechanical, or you don't want me to come and help you do anything. I'll pray for you. That's about what you need my help with. And I could preach a sermon at your house. That's fine. Um, but the truth be told is that I, could, I couldn't get this to stop, so I started driving. And so... I just started driving to school. I'm like, all right. I mean, this is just real. And so I'm driving through Pottstown, and, uh, and it looks like I'm in the Honda ambulance. And so there I am, and I come to a three-way stop. I come to a th this is the worst moment. I come to a three-way stop, and there's cars. at. I'm one of the cars, and then there's two other cars, and then there's a crossing guard, and then there's a mom pushing a stroller with a baby. And everyone is staring at me like, dude. And I love the crossing guard. I see her every morning, and I just kind of wave and smile. And she was laughing at me. I mean, there was no doubt about it. This is a lovely lady. She was just laughing at me, and I just kind of waved. And I'm like, no, I am fine. I am totally comfortable in my own skin. And I am trying to act as normal as possible as this is happening. And so um, before we get to our next stop, we had to pick someone up along the way. I stopped at the, I stopped at the Y because uh, Carlene and Zach, I didn't want to show up to your house and scare your daughter half to death, Aislinn, who's in kindergarten. And I was like, if I show up in Aislinn and this is happening, I just don't want to freak out Carlene and her family because we pick up uh, her daughter on the way. And so I pulled off into a, uh, a YMCA and, and something dawned on me. If I turned the car off, I got out of the car and I, turned, and I locked it and unlocked it, my car would realize that I am in fact not a criminal. And so that happened, it stopped, and I, and I could proceed with the ride, and that was an exciting four minutes, and my kids have been talking about it all weekend, and my wife thinks it's hysterical, and so I thought I'd share that about you. But here's the thing, isn't it true that when something is going wrong in our lives, we try to act as normal as possible when we're kind of out in the world? Like people at home might know that everything isn't all right. But isn't it true that sometimes we get out and 
we just kind of plaster the smile on our faces and we act like, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's fine. And everyone sees you, and the better they get to know you, they can see through the tough exterior or the plastic smile, and they know that you're hurting. They know that the horn is blaring and the lights are blinking, but you're driving like there's not a problem. Are you pretending this morning that everything is fine in your life when it's not? Our emotions are a lot like alarms. They signal to us what is really happening in our hearts. Having emotions is part of what it means to be a human being, to be made in God's image. This sermon is not about having emotions is wrong. And if you're a very feeling person, that's a gift from God. That's how God has wired you. And I want to affirm that this morning. And there are some of us who would say, Joe, I, I almost feel nothing. I'm clinical when people are in pain. I might act like I really care, but that is just a calculated decision. I feel nothing on the inside. Some of us are very feeling. Some of us are not. Today's message kind of transcends those issues and says, how does God want to heal our emotional pain? You've heard the expression, time heals all wounds. I've been a pastor for almost nine years, and one fact has become crystal clear to me about people who have experienced emotional pain. Time doesn't heal a thing. Emotional wounds don't heal on their own. They just age if they're not addressed. I love what Proverbs 18.14 says. It says, the human spirit can endure a sick body but who can bear a crushed spirit? The human spirit can endure a sick body, but who can bear a crushed spirit, a broken heart? Our physical wounds are not like our emotional wounds. Time usually does heal physical wounds. This week, I was putting Olivia to bed, and we were laying in her bed, and we were talking, and I was praying for her, and then she kind of said, Daddy, how does the doctor make you better? And I said, how does the doctor make you better? I said, well, usually he or she will give you some medicine, or if you're really tough, or if it's really not good, you might have to have surgery. And then she goes, said, and they also make you pee in a cup. And, I'm, and she goes, they can make you better that way. And I was like, yeah, I don't think that's the healing process. Wouldn't it be nice if we could get healing for our emotional pain just by having a surgery or taking medicine? Psalm 34, verse 18 says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 46, verse one, God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. God is not aloof or unconcerned with the pain that we carry. In fact, he is close to us when our hearts are broken, and he is our ever-present help. I've been meditating on this scripture, Psalm 46, verse 1, all week, that God is my ever-present help in times of trouble. He is my refuge. He is my strength. And he is ever-present. He is not running from me when life gets hard or when I'm experiencing pain or when I need him. He is ever-present. This morning, I want to share with you how God can transform 
your emotions and heal your heart. I believe the process I'm going to share with you this morning can help bring healing to you no matter where your pain originated from. But let me be clear about one thing, just so you don't think that I think that I'm going to give you four easy steps and immediately all of your emotional pain is going to vanish. I don't believe that. But I do believe what I'm going to share with you today is going to push you towards the healer. And with his help, healing can occur. I also don't think that the process I'm going to share with you this morning should serve as a substitute for in-depth Christian counseling, depending on how deeply you're hurting. Some of us will get to the end of this message, and our action step must, might be, I need some help. This pain has been hanging around like an unwelcomed house guest for decades, and it's not going away by osmosis. I need some help. So let me share with you this morning how to have a healthy heart. How to have a healthy heart. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your people this morning. Thank you for their kindness. Thank you for blessing us with such a good time of worship today, God. Lord, thank you for touching my heart and our hearts. Lord, we say together today that you are awesome in this place. We want to live for you, Jesus. We do. We need help. You also know where we're broken. And Lord, we don't need a sermon. We need you to touch us. And so God, do your work in every heart today. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. How to have a healthy heart. I could have also called this how to heal from emotional pain. Number one, let it out. Let it out. 65 of the 150 Psalms, many of us, even if we're not churched people, we understand that there's a book called Psalms. We've heard of that before. Maybe we've seen a psalm stitched on a pillow somewhere at our grandmother's house. 65 of the 150 Psalms are Psalms of Lament. Psalms of Lament were written during times of trouble and express the fullness of human suffering. Psalms of Lament are actually complaints directed at God that express dissatisfaction with how life is going. Whether it's the pain of humiliation, injustice, death, disease, alienation, loss, these psalms give us a window into the broken heart. Let me read a couple of the Psalms of Lament today, just portions of them. Psalm 88 verses 1 through 6 says this. This is someone sharing their heart with God. O Lord... God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day. I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer. Listen to my cry. For my life is full of troubles and death draws near. I am as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They have left me among the dead and I lie like a corpse in a grave. I am forgotten, cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Psalm 13. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Psalms of lament validate and normalize the sadness, hurt, questions, doubts, anger, confusion, and bewilderment that accompany the grief process. 
Psalms of lament give us language to communicate the pain that we are experiencing, not to our friends, not to our moms, not to the person in the cubicle next to us, but to God. See, I think some of us are good at expressing pain to our small group, which is good, but we're not good at expressing pain directly to the Lord. Here's the good news. Psalms of lament give us permission to pour out our hearts to God with abandon. We tend to be too sanitized in our communication with the Lord. We approach the all-knowing creator of the universe, and we act afraid to acknowledge what we're actually feeling. And so the question would be, do we realize that God actually already knows what we're feeling? Do you know that he already understands you, the depth of your pain better than you do? Are you a person who is telling God about their pain, about your feelings, about your disappointment, your frustration, your anger? Don't hold back. Don't hold back. Don't whisper. If you are a hot mess when you are doing this, you are on the right track. Men, if you want to put your fist through the wall when you are pouring your heart out to God, you're doing it right. This is how we're supposed to approach God. How long, O oh Lord? Are you going to put, keep me in the pit forever? Oh Lord, it's me again. I'm having a tough day. Help me, God. I don't know if you can, but I hope you do. Amen. Listen. Let's not be little Bo Peep in the presence of God. He is a big God. He knows what's up in your life. And you need to pour out your heart to the Lord. That doesn't mean you're disrespectful. That doesn't mean that you start calling him names. But it does mean you go toe-to-toe -to -toe and you say, God, it probably wouldn't be toe-to-toe. -to -toe. It'd probably be like you'd be standing at his toes and you'd be looking at his toes. So maybe toe-to-toe -to -toe isn't the best way to say that. But you get what I'm trying to say. We need to go after it with God when we're in pain. Some of us have been carrying hurts that we've actually never unloaded onto the Lord. But we don't stop at letting it out. We aren't simply after catharsis. We aren't simply just trying to get something off our chest with God. We're not trying to tell God off, that's for sure. We're inviting him into the pain. So here's the second thing we do. Preach the truth to your feelings. Preach the truth to your feelings. In Psalm 42, another lament. Listen to what the psalmist says to himself in response to his feelings. I love this scripture, Psalm 42, verse 11. Why are you downcast, O my soul? So the psalmist says, hey, I'm feeling pretty depressed. And he doesn't just say, well, since I feel this way, I guess this just must be how I feel. I'm going to lay down and just keep feeling this. No, what does he do? He talks back. One thing we rarely do to our feelings is talk back to them. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He's not simply surrendering to what he feels. He, he's not shrugging his shoulders. He's saying, depressing feelings? Your hope is misplaced. What I'm about to say is more from experience than it is from hard psychological data. This is an observation I've made. 
I think a lot of emotional pain stems from a perceived attack on our identity. Think about it. Abuse, neglect, disapproval from a parent, being abandoned, living through a divorce, whether your parents are the ones who got divorced or you are the person who walked through the divorce yourself, walking through a major illness, unemployment, rejection, humiliation, being bullied, being excluded, feeling used, even walking through an epic moral failure, all result in emotional pain and all wreak havoc on your identity. And when our identity is under attack, we almost always end up believing lies about who we are at the core. I'm a failure. I'm not worthy of love. My life only matters if I'm productive. I have to live up to the standards that my mom and dad have set for me. I don't measure up. I'm damaged goods. I need to make other people happy. I'm a nobody. We tend to buy these lies out of our emotional pain. And we tend to start believing things about ourselves and about our identity that are not true. And do you know what happens when we believe lies about our identity? We try to build our sense of identity on something different. We chase after wealth. We chase after relationships. Some of us get into relationships and we start to wonder, I thought this was the magic bullet. I thought this would be the thing that would make me happy. I thought this would be the thing that would deeply satisfy my soul. And you put all kinds of burden in your marriage or, or in other relationships. You put all kinds of burden on another person to satisfy you in the way that only Jesus is supposed to satisfy you. We try to find our identity in children or career or beauty or power or success or the affirmation of others. Oh, you did such a good job. Oh, man, you're, you're the best at this job. Oh my goodness, I am so glad you did that. I just want to give you, give you a hand clap that you performed so well. Hey, listen, what happens when that dries up? You're back to an identity crisis. The problem with all of these things is they don't solve your identity crisis. They only perpetuate it. They all promise to satisfy. They overpromise and underdeliver. They lie. They lie. What does Jesus say to us? John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Jesus said these words. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus tells us that the path to freedom in life is listening to what he says because it's true. And if you build your life on the truth, you're no longer in bondage, you're no longer enslaved to your pain, you walk in freedom. You walk in freedom. People who follow Jesus, Andrew said this this morning when he was talking about offering, people who follow Jesus are the only people in the world who are able to rightfully build their identity on a who instead of a what. And that who is Jesus. 
Jesus promises us when we choose to stake our lives on the truth, we experience freedom. Our hearts need to feed on the truth about who we are in Christ. Our feelings need to be confronted and grounded in the truth of who God says that we are. So who does God say that we are? Here's just a small sampling of who God says you are if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. If you have trusted Jesus with your life, this is true about you this morning. You are accepted by God because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You are forgiven. You are chosen, holy, and blameless before God. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ. You are God's masterpiece, created to do good works. You are a new creation. God loves you, and he has chosen you. God will never leave you or forsake you. You need to preach truth to your feelings, and you're like, Joe, I don't ever talk like you're talking right now to anyone. Listen, this doesn't, this is the only way you preach. Listen, when I pray sometimes, this is how I pray. I'll walk around our prayer room at church, and I am glad it's in the corner because I yell and I talk to the Lord, and we got church down in that room, and that's good. But listen, some of you aren't wired that way. So when I say the word preach, it's not about the volume of your voice. It's about the truth coming from your lips into your heart. Say the truth out loud. Declare who God says you are. Make your feelings surrender to the truth because all feelings are subjective. So they need to get tied to something objective, and that's Jesus, and that's the Word of God, and that's what God says about you. That's why we encourage you constantly to have time with the Lord every day, not so that you can check a box and feel like a Christian, but so that the Word of God can get into your heart and mind, and you can have spiritual and emotional stability in your life. And emotionally stable people still cry. And emotionally stable people still have hard days. But emotionally stable people preach Christ and him crucified to their hearts. Here's the third thing. If you want to have a healthy heart, this is where you're going to get angry at the sermon. If you really love the sermon so far, you're not going to like this part. If you don't like the sermon, you're going to like it even less after I say what I'm about to say. If you're tired and bored, you'll be more interested, though. Number three, own your part. Own your part. Wait a minute, Joe. You're talking to me about my emotional pain, I know exactly what you're talking about in my life. I have an emotional wound. What do you mean by own your part? For a lot of us, our pain was caused by someone else, and what they did was probably unkind, sad, even terrible, maybe even evil. I've heard some of your stories. What people have done to you, for some of you, it is pure evil. How can you say own your part? Here's why. Because every time we're in pain, we usually don't respond the right way. We may have said things to others that were hurtful because we were hurt. We let bitterness and hatred brew in our hearts. We tried to get revenge. We gossiped about them. We made excuses for our pride, our selfishness, our self-absorption, and our self-pity. Or we took our hurt and our pain out on somebody else. Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people 
hurt people. We might have emotional hurts, but that doesn't mean we're faultless. Jesus is the only one in history who responded the right way every time people tried to hurt him. We need to own our part. We shouldn't own what's not ours to own. We shouldn't take complete responsibility for being in pain. But we absolutely need to take the blinders off and be honest that we've had moments when we were living out of our hurts and sinned against God. Some of us need to be honest and acknowledge in this room this morning, you have been living your whole life out of your hurts. It's shaping how you see the world. It's shaping how you treat other people. It's shaping how healthy you are on the inside. It's shaping your sense of identity. It's shaping how you treat the people closest to you, especially some of us have only ever lived our lives out of our hurts. And yes, there might be an original wound that hurt us, but it is still sin to live life hurting other people because you're a hurt person. Here's what David says. I love this psalm. This is Psalm 32, and David just talks about how awesome it is to confess your sin. Usually when we think about confessing our sin and repentance, we're like, ah, okay, all right. He says, confession is awesome. So if you're hiding here, hiding something here today, maybe you got a little affair on the side and you don't want anyone to know about it, confession is awesome. Maybe you're stealing money from your workplace and you just kind of want to keep that hidden or you're not paying your taxes, confession is awesome. Maybe you've been lying to your parents about what's true, confession is awesome. Maybe you're not willing to admit that because you're hurt, you've hurt other people. Confession is awesome. Let's read the scripture. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long, day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. Like walking around through life with a constant sense of your conscience screaming to you saying, you need to confess this. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. You should highlight this in your Bible. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. That's a good spot for an amen. And you forgave me. And all my guilt is gone. One of Jesus' disciples says it this way, John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. What am I pushing you towards today? The cross. What do you need most to think about your pain and your hurt? You need Jesus. What do you need to be honest about as someone who's hurting is that you need to say, have I hurt other people? 
because I'm a hurt person? And if the answer is yes, you run that sin to Jesus and you get cleaned up. And he wipes you clean every time. Here's the last thing. Not only are we supposed to let it out, not only are we supposed to preach the truth to our feelings, not only are we supposed to own our part, last thing we need to do is let them go. Let them go. It's been said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. I used to think that I was a pretty forgiving person. I really did. I, there's this test that I give sometimes, it's called the Taylor Johnson, and it's a behavioral analysis that I give to people during premarital counseling. And the first question on the ta Taylor Johnson is, is fill in your name a forgiving person? And I always used to think, yeah, without a doubt, I'm a forgiving person. Unfortunately, I've discovered that it's not as easy as I once thought it was. I've actually found forgiveness to be less like a one-time event and more like a long process. God's forgiveness doesn't work that way, but when you're wounded deeply, it's hard to resist the temptation to nurse your hurts by seeing the worst in those who have hurt you. But Jesus doesn't give us permission to hang on to unforgiveness. In fact, he calls us to something radical, love for those who have hurt us. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 28, Jesus says, But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. This week I came across a definition of forgiveness. It's 300 years old. It's from a book called Body of Divinity written by Thomas Watson. And Thomas Watson says there's seven things that you do if you've really forgiven someone. So maybe you're here today and you're like, oh yeah, I've definitely forgiven so-and-so and this message doesn't really apply to me. Let's look at these things. They're all biblical. There'll be a scripture reference next to each one. You can write it down and look it up later. But here are seven things that you do if you have really forgiven someone. Number one, resist thoughts of revenge. Number two, don't seek to do them harm. So not only are you not even thinking about getting back at them, you're not going to do it. You're not going to try to make their life harder. You're not going to punish them emotionally or with distance. You're not going to show them conditional love. You're not going to play games with them. You're not going to seek to do them harm at all. Now, if someone has abused you and you are protecting yourself and there needs to be space, definitely keep that boundary. But if you just use the other person in a way that you love to show them the cold shoulder and make them pay for how they've hurt you again and again and again, even though you've said, I forgive you to their face, you haven't forgiven them. Here's the third thing. Want good for them, accompanied by grieve their hardships. So here's the thing. When you think about the opposite of hate, or excuse me, the opposite of love, if I were to say, what's the opposite of love, you'd probably say hate. But that's not what the opposite of love is. The opposite of love is indifference. I'm not angry at them. I just don't care at all what happens to them. Do you want good for the person who's hurt you? Are their 
dreams, something that you hope come to pass, assuming they're godly and good? Are you grieved when they walk through pain? Or, or does a little piece of you say, validated, getting what they deserve? Are you grieving their hardships? Fifth thing, pray for them. Pray for them. I had an experience recently with one of my friends, a really good friend. This is a few months ago. I was sharing with my friend how I thought someone had hurt me. And I said that I was really struggling with how this person had hurt me. And I was telling my friend, and my friend just kind of looked me right in the eyes, and he says, well, are you praying for him? <laughs> what, am I a pastor? Of course not. <laughs> of course I'm not praying for them. Pray for them. They should be saying sorry to me. I've got enough people on the prayer list, bud. Pray for them. Pray for them. And not this kind of prayer. Prayer that goes, God, please change them. God, you know all the dysfunction in their life. Can you just start to fix that, God? That's not prayer. That's gossiping with God about somebody else. Prayers of blessing. God, I pray you'd do so much in their life. I pray you'd bless them abundantly. I pray that they would know your goodness more today than they've ever known before. Sixth thing, seek reconciliation with them. That means you are the active one looking to make things right. And this last one is, I mean, this one will really get you. Be always willing to come to their relief. Like their house is burning down and you're the first one there with a fire suit on saying, I'll go in and get your cat. You're like, I'm not doing that, especially for them. Maybe you haven't forgiven them. I think this is a thoroughly biblical definition of forgiveness. But I think there is one last thing that we need to consider it's not only that Jesus commands us to forgive, he also enables us to forgive. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 13. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone else. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. The reason you can live out of your identity in Christ and not out of your hurts, the reason you can be called holy and dearly loved, the reason your life can be marked by compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, the reason you can confess your sin, the reason you can extend forgiveness to those who have hurt you, it's because you are forgiven. We can give grace freely and abundantly when we're willing to put ourselves in the shoes of the person who has hurt us and say, I could have done the same thing. I need the grace of Jesus more than I even realize. How do you forgive? You stop making it seem like you're morally superior to the one who's hurt you. 
and you start seeing you and them at the foot of the cross and the bloody hands and feet of Jesus overshadowing you. And as the blood pours off his body, you are both there and you are both deeply in need of that precious blood to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Why can you be a forgiving person? Because you are a forgiven person. And there are no excuses. And there are no yeah buts. And there are no but you don't know my dad. You are not the exception. I know you think you are. And the little defense attorney in your head right now is saying, you are. He's just upset at the other people. He just thinks everyone else needs to forgive. But your circumstance is so unique and your hurt is so complex. This sermon couldn't possibly apply to me because Joe doesn't really understand the depth of my hurt. And you know what? You're right. You're right. You're right. But Jesus does. And he's a forgiver. Because he knows the depth of your sin. And he still loves you. Why are we people clothed with kindness and compassion and humility and love? Because we're forgiven. Because we're forgiven. In John chapter 5, there's this man who's sitting by a pool. You can come ahead, Kyler. And Jesus encounters this man sitting at this pool. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 5, in the first couple of verses, that this man had been sitting by this pool for 38 years because he had been paralyzed. And Jesus comes up to this man who's been sitting by this pool, pool that's known for its healing qualities, and he looks into the eyes of this paralytic 38 years, and he says to him, do you want to get well? What an absolutely startling question. Do you want to get well? I mean, the healing pool is only a few feet away. That's the question for you this morning. Do you want to get well? Do you want to bring your hurts to Jesus? Do you want to experience his healing for your broken heart? Or do you want to sit by the pool and sit in the chairs and listen to sermon after sermon and just continue to be the kind of person who harbors bitterness and resentment in their life and continues to hurt and blame everybody else and take no responsibility. Do you want to get well? 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 Do you? Do you want to get well? Thanks, man. I do too. Do you want to get well? Or do you want to just continue to go through life like everything's fine? 
Hey, listen, this is what I'm going to ask us to do this morning. And I don't expect everyone to respond to this. But if God is working in your life in this moment, and you know it is time to unload onto him the pain that you've been carrying, would you join me? Would you get up out of your seat? And would you just kneel with me up here? Just as a sign to say, I want to get well. Some of you are saying, well, why do I have to go up there? Why do I have to come? God already knows I want to get well. I know God knows, but do you know? This is just a sign of surrender. This is just a time to say, man, I need him to touch me. I need him to heal my heart. I don't want to be walking anymore, carrying this baggage. I want to leave it at the feet of Jesus. I want to say that it hurts. Hey, why don't we just take a moment and let's just pour our hearts out to the Lord. You pour out your heart. You tell him where you're hurting. his spirit and touch your heart. Tell him where it's broken and ask him to touch your heart. saying they want to get well. If we're in our chairs this morning, could you join me and just stand? And can we extend our hand towards these who are saying, God, I need you to touch my life this morning. I need to walk in the truth from this point forward. I need to own my part and I need to show forgiveness today. Just by a sign of joining these our brothers and sisters in Christ, let's just pray. God, I thank you for these who are saying they want to get well today. God, I pray that you would heal their broken hearts. I pray you would heal where my heart is hurting. God, we need you in this place. We need you to come and we need you to do surgery on us. We need you to make our hearts whole again. We don't want to live our lives out of the way that we've been hurt by other people. We don't want to wear labels the rest of our life that we're just the abused one or we're just the, the divorced one or we're just the abandoned one. Lord, we don't want to wear those labels. 
God, you haven't put those labels on us. You have called us your children. You've called us to walk in the truth. You've called us your own. You've accepted us. You have poured out your spirit upon us. God, we need you in this place. God, we need you to touch us in a real way. Come, Lord, and do your work. I pray against the evil one, the way that he would lie to us, the way that he would try to keep us in darkness and bondage and enslaved to our hurts. I come against him in the name of Jesus Christ. He has no place here. He has no place in our lives. We belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are yours. Make our hearts whole in this place, Lord. Do your work among us. God, we need you. We need you. Pour out your spirit over us, God. Bring healing, God. Do what only you can do. You're the strong one, Lord. Thank you, God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Our service is uh, over. You're dismissed. But if you want to stay and pray and seek God, Kyler will pray, play as long as he needs to. If you want to stay at the altar, you can. If you want to go, you're dismissed. God bless you today as you go. Don't leave this place without doing business with God, though.